Pastor Fidenda's thing, and I had another paper with it, and I can't find it. When you're younger, that kind of stuff don't bother you. You say, yeah. Well, you older folks know what I mean. It's one of those, I walk into the room and I know I came here for something. Yeah. First Corinthians. We're in chapter 6. I uh, don't take this wrong, but I'm really glad to be out of chapter 5. It's kind of a negative chapter. Um, First Corinthians, <laughs> there's a lot of negative. Because you had a bunch of Christians who were living carnal lives. And Paul is trying to help them. He's rebuking them for these things. And I say that because today in churches, seems like a lot of preachers don't want to say anything negative. Well, when God called me to preach and pastor, if I understood my instructions correctly, and I believe I did, he said, preach the word. He didn't say preach some of the word. He didn't say preach the positive parts of the word. He said preach the word. So, especially in our Sunday night, sometimes Wednesday night, when we're doing books of the Bible, we're just taking it as it comes. Positive, negative. Now, chapter 6 has a lot of this first eight verses we're going to look at. has a, a tone of negativity because, again, it's a rebuke. There's something going on in the church that ought not to be going on. You know, sometimes that happens. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. And we've already seen that in chapter 5, Paul has opened up that can of worms. Stuff is going on in the church that shouldn't be going on in the church. Chapter 5, we know about the man and the problem, and it wasn't being handled. And now as we go into this, this chapter 6, there's another problem. And it's not appropriate, and really it's not very flattering to the church. Let's look at the verses 1 through 8. Paul says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, 
go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do ye not know, oh, there's that. He says in other places, know ye not. Now it's, it's the same idea. Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more are things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded. Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. Father, help us tonight. We are in these epistles, church epistles here, these letters that you had the Apostle Paul to pen. And here this particular one deals with many problems in the church. And there was much instruction given by you on what ought to be in the church and what ought not to be. Help us to have a clear understanding and help us to purpose to practice that which you have given us, the instruction you've provided for us. Lord, it's easy to, to follow the flesh. It's easy to seek our own way rather than your way. But help us. Help us to be a people who are sincere and genuine in our beliefs and in our practices. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
I want to read a quote from Pastor Fedeno dealing with what's going on here. He says, God has ordained three institutions. The home, and I would define it as the family. Human government and the church in that order. And really, there should be no conflict among them. And God has given the boundaries. Since we are citizens of both worlds, we must function according to the laws of both worlds. Our spiritual calling is the highest, but we are to render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, unto God the things that are God's. And in this passage, we understand that the Corinthians are confusing their obligations. They're taking the things which are God's to Caesar. Oftentimes, I've been asked by believers, many times church members, sometimes not. Preacher, this and this and this is going on. Is it okay to sue? Is it okay to go to court? What should I do? I titled the message, To Sue or Not to Sue. You say, well, what do you tell folks? Well, I really have to weigh what the situation is. What are we talking about? What's going on? And let me just say right up front so you understand this. If you come to me where someone is breaking the law, the civil law against you, and you say, what should I do? Turn them in. That's it? Well, yeah. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. The church does not rule in civil law. Crime. When people commit crimes, it's not up to the church to put them in jail. Or to punish them. Other than excommunicate. So if somebody comes to me, for instance, if a Christian came and said another Christian has raped my wife, needs to go to jail. Christian comes and says another Christian has molested my child. I'll take him to the police station. That's where that belongs. But when it comes to disputes and those kinds of things among believers, 
not criminal matters. Now we're in a different jurisdiction. Paul here is dealing with a bunch of people who are carnal. It's very obvious to us, if we study the Bible, as I've said, the jurisdiction of the courts, the jurisdiction of the church are different. The, the law, the authorities, deal with the points of law. The church deals with points of contention. Here, and it's interesting, the language here, if you look at the words, you know words are important. He says in verse 2, look at the last phrase. Are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Some people say Paul's only talking about trivial things. And, and I could say that could be. In light of the context, I lean towards, and we'll see this, he says one day we're going to judge much bigger things. Shouldn't we able, be able, as God's people, to judge smaller things? He says, you're taking things before unsaved judges. And in essence, and he says a little later, we'll see it, he says, shame on you. Look here, the first thing, this really kind of jumped off the page at me. We see a shocking behavior identified. You see, when I see what Paul wrote there, I see it as he's saying, this is shocking to me. He says, Dare any of you, dare. He's not talk about it being dangerous. He's talking about having the audacity to do this. Dare any of you? And when he says you, he's talking about believers. He's kind of saying, I don't believe you would do such a thing. Or, or, what's the matter with you? Dare any of you. Their behavior was bold, but in a negative way. It was brazen. It was showing no shame. It was brash. Dare any of you? 
And then he challenges them about how they're handling disputes among themselves. Go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. Having a matter against another. So their disputes, and as I said, some people believe they were petty disputes. I don't know. We're really not told what they were. But they were taking disputes to the secular courts. Wanting them to make decisions. And Paul was horrified. And he's ashamed of that kind of behavior. And he tells them in how he phrases that what the problem is. He says, you're wanting unjust, he calls them, judges. That unjust has the connotation of heathen, unsaved. You're asking unsaved judges to decide or arbitrate your disputes. You say, well, yeah, what's wrong with that? Well, a couple of things. He says, against another. Well, that another has the idea of one of the same kind. It's a brother or a sister. Another Christian. Anything you're having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust. And not before the saints. Against there, of course, means there's a dispute. And he's basically saying there that both of you are wrong. If you go to the court to try to settle a dispute, you're both wrong. Because that's not where Christians ought to settle their disputes. A shocking behavior. He's saying that these kind of things ought to be judged by the saints. That's us. It's kind of amusing when you talk to unsaved people. And somehow you get on the subject and you say, oh, I'm a saint. And they know you. Saints, as the world defines them, is not what we are. We're a bunch of low-down, dirty, rotten sinners. But we're saved sinners. 
And according to the scriptures, saved sinners are synonymous with saints. You ever think how fortunate you are in being a saint? I was raised Roman Catholic. They have their saints. Have you ever read what it takes for a Roman Catholic to be declared a saint? They have to have performed at least two miracles. And then they have all these other standards they got to meet. And then the Pope has to, has to uh, inaugurate a movement, and I think the cardinals have to vote. All this has to happen. And it, it happens after they die. So what good is it? You're dead, you're gone, you're buried, you're, if you're not saved, you're in hell, and somebody's going to say, well, they're a saint. We don't have to go through any of that. And we don't have to wait. We're saints. Maybe the next time you write a letter or sign something, you ought to prefix it with saint. <laughs> See how that's received. You wouldn't be lying. Paul says, hey, this should be judged by the saints. Those are God's people. Saved people. Church people. I already discussed this. The issue that he's talking about here has nothing to do with criminal matters. Go over to Romans 13. I certainly don't want you to say, well, Pastor Gilmore says. It don't matter what I say. It matters what does the Bible say. Chapter 13 in Romans. Let every soul, that's a person, be subject unto the higher powers. Who's he talking about? The authorities that God has placed over us. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now, again, I said this morning, the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. So in the next verse, we really get clarification on what he's talking about. For rulers, oh, he's talking about governmental. Yeah. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. 
Oh, oh, hey, time out. Let's just look at what he just said. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Let me paraphrase. Paul says if you're not doing wrong, you don't need to, you don't, you don't need to worry about the law. Illustration. I get on Route 22. <coughs> Speed limit's 55. And nobody drives 55. But I get on 22, and I say the law is 55. I don't want to get a ticket. How many of you have ever had a speeding ticket? I won't preach at you, but you, you'll admit it. Yeah? When you get one of those, it really irritates me because it's like taking whatever that fine money is and flushing it down a toilet. You get nothing for it. Except a little greeting from the guy who gives you the ticket. So now I get on Route 22 and I'm saying to myself, Preacher, you don't want a ticket. No, I don't want a ticket. I don't want to have to pay that money. Speed limit's 55. Okay, I'll do 55. And maybe everybody's passing me, but I'm doing 55. And I get up here by Route 33 where they intersect. And lo and behold, like they like to do, there's a state trooper in the cloverleaf, and he's taking pictures. Not literal pictures. That means he's got his radar gun. Now, the natural reaction when we see that is our foot on the brake. Problem is, if that's your situation, it's already too late. He got you. But you see, as I approach, I don't put my foot on the brake. I don't get worried. I don't really care. Because he's not a threat to me. I'm doing what's right. Hello. That's what Paul's telling us there. Hey, if you're not doing wrong, you don't need to worry about the law. It's when you break the law you've got to worry. God has ordained laws. We don't like them. I doubt if there's anybody in this room that likes 55 on 22. Well, then why do they do that? For safety reasons. But can you imagine if there was no speed limit? They're already doing 85. What would it be if we didn't have a speed limit? Rules. Society, to be a civilized society, must have rules. God has ordained government 
to set rules so you can have organized society. Otherwise, you have anarchy. We have a lot of rules in our country that really, we say, well, you know, that infringes on, on my freedom. Some of it does. But some of it's necessary. Without it, again, we, we have lawlessness. Let's go on in Romans 13. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Here's the principle. Do that which is good. And thou shalt have praise of the same. I don't know, it's hard to take that one literally. How often do the police and the authorities come and say, man, you're a good citizen. We're so glad to have you. We wish we had more like you. But so I don't think he's talking individually there. I think the principle is we're going to be appreciated by the powers if we do right. Don't look for a letter of appreciation. But you know, I've heard every once in a while, this really happens, every once in a while a police department will decide they're going to do something nice and they will pick out drivers who are doing the speed limit and pull them over. Of course, that gives them a heart attack. But then instead of a ticket, they give them maybe a certificate to a restaurant or, or something like that. Just for an, being an obedient citizen. You say, well, maybe I'll start doing the speed limit. <laughs> but I think that the principle there is if you do right, they're going to respect you and like you. Next verse. For he. Who's he? The ruler he's talking about. The law. He is the minister of God. To thee for good. He's doing God's work. Not in a Bible sense, but he's the servant who's doing the keeping or the, the protecting of the law that God wants people to have. He's the minister of God to thee for good. <laughs> but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. Be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him 
that doeth evil. The sword speaks of judgment. And vain talks about without effect. And revenger is the punisher. And the wrath is the punishment. So let's look at it again. He is the minister of God to thee for good. If thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword, the judgment, in vain, without effect. For he is the minister, the servant of God, a revenger. That doesn't mean God is seeking revenge. It means the punisher. The revenger to execute wrath. That's the punishment. On him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye. Now we're back to save people. He's writing to save people. Ye must needs be subject. Not only for wrath but for conscience sake. We should do right, not just because we don't want to pay the fine. We should not break the law, not only because we don't want to go to jail. We don't look good in orange. But more than that, for conscience sake. In other words, the idea that I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to obey the law. Not just so I don't get punished, but so that I please the Lord. Because he said I'm supposed to obey the law. And of course, there's the disclaimer that we all understand when the law says to do something against what God says, then we don't obey the law. We ought to obey God rather than men. So I think we all have a clear understanding. I think as I read this, the issue Paul's dealing with here really is twofold. They're taking these things before unbelieving judges. Well, these judges have no spirituality, no mind of God or his will or anything spiritual. So their decisions are not going to be based on anything of a spiritual nature. It's all going to be carnal. Man's ideas. And then the second thing is the fact that bringing their disputes out here in public is basically 
we would say, displaying their dirty laundry. It would, it would open up the differences in the church. It would open up criticism of the church that, hey, these people say love, love, love. They can't even get along. Paul says, this shouldn't be. This is wrong. Paul's position I don't think Paul is really focusing on the fact that they wouldn't get fair treatment in in the civil courts. The thrust of what he's saying is you don't belong there. You have no business there. And then this rebuke really reveals three things about them. Again, it evidences their carnality. How often have we emphasized that, that in what they're doing and how they're behaving and and their attitudes. It's all carnal. It's all flesh. It's not spiritual. Here it is displayed again. And then, apparently and obviously, there was a spirit of rebellion or lawlessness in the church and in individual believers. And they were going to the wrong place. So Paul is saying to them, hey, when believers have differences, they don't need to go to the world. They should be submitting it to the spiritual leadership of the church. Pastor, deacons, we'll say a little more about that. And I think he has in mind, well, we talked about that. Their lack of spirituality. Oliver B. Green said this. What these disputes were, we're not told. But we do know they were petty and easily could have been taken care of in the church if the love of God had prevailed. So what they're doing is actually showing there's, there's a problem in their spiritual life. Then there's a pointed reminder given in verses 2 and 3. Do ye not know we've talked about that? 
He says, don't you, don't you know, don't you understand, don't you remember that saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Judge the world. I kind of look forward to that day. Because the world's judging us. I hear these court cases where they're violating our constitutional rights. The courts are ruling against us. The reason is not legally, but philosophically, they're taking liberties with our Constitution. It's very clear. We have the right to worship the way we please. And the government cannot stop us. And yet they try. But see, one day, Paul reminds them, reminds us, <laughs> we are going to judge the world. What's he talking about? Well, this is something that really is kind of fundamental. A fundamental teaching we find in the scriptures. One day, we are going to judge the ungodly world. I don't have time to run the verses. I'm going to give you three. In Daniel 7, verse 22, we're told there's coming a day when God's people are going to judge the world. Matthew 19, 28, Jesus said, one day in his kingdom, we're going to judge with him. Revelation 20 and verse 4, there's going to be judgment. And I believe what Paul says here indicates that we're going to be a part of that. We're no longer going to be the judged we're going to be the judges. I believe it's all during the millennium. Revelation 20 verse 4 makes that very clear. We're going to come and rule and reign with him. And please understand, during the millennium, not everybody's going to be saved. Do you understand that? Christ is going to rule with a rod of iron, but there's, there's coming a day in the millennium, at the end of the millennium, where there's, uh, the devil is going to be released, and he's going to stir up people against Christ. Well, who are those people? Unsaved people. You with me? 
But we as the saved people are going to be the ones in authority. And we will be enforcing the rules. We're going to rule and reign with him. So what Paul's saying here is, hey, don't, don't you remember, don't you realize you're going to be judging the world? Can't you judge the smallest matters? Listen, we're going to judge the world. Can't we judge the things of today without going to the court? Hmm. Somebody said obedient, trustworthy saints will be associate judges with Christ. But he goes on. Look at the next verse. This ought to blow your socks off. Know we not, know ye not, that we shall judge angels. How much more things that pertain to this life? We are going to judge angels. I believe he's talking about the fallen angels. I don't see any judgment on any other angels. But there's coming a day when the fallen angels and Satan and all are going to be cast in a lake of fire. Blood-washed believers have been exalted and will judge the fallen angels. 2 Peter 2.4, Revelation 20.10, Jude 6. And he says in light of that, surely, surely as believers, you can settle your disputes. You don't have to go to the civil courts, to the unsaved. What's the matter with you? And here's something interesting in verse 4. He says, if then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are the least esteemed in the church. I don't know if I'm interpreting it correctly. I know what I see there. He says, look, if you have problems and disputes among yourselves in this life, the least esteemed, let's say the worst Christian, would be better to judge than to take it to an unsaved judge. How about that? The least esteemed. The lowest. In the church. Why would he say that? Because 
even though he might not be the most spiritual in the church, if he's saved, he's got the Holy Spirit. And he's got the mind of Christ. And at least he has that on his side. The unsaved man don't have any of that. Then look at the next two verses. Here's a shameful practice. It's just rebuked. Paul says it. I speak to your shame. Has anybody ever had to say to you, shame on you? That's not pleasant. I speak to your shame. And what he's saying there is, you mean to tell me that there's not one wise man among you? You don't have one man that has godly wisdom that can, can decide your disputes. Is that what you're telling me? He says, but a brother go to law with brother and that before the unbelievers. Are you telling me? And when he says that, I think he's, he's questioning their wisdom. And he's questioning, well, godly wisdom. And their spiritual wisdom. Now remember, we started way back in chapter 1 with these Corinthians who like to brag. They like to boast about their spirituality. They were very filled with pride. And here Paul's kind of knocking, knocking the, the foundation out from under them. Oh, you're, you're so wise and you're so spiritual. And yet you're telling me among all you spiritual people... You can't find one of you who can settle disputes in a godly way. Shame on you. You are so unspiritual that you actually take your brethren to court before the unbelievers, unsaved judges. And now we see, he reveals a fault here in verse 7. Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. What he says next is really, really, really hard for the flesh 
to take. He says, Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? That's a hard saying. To me, it's almost like when Jesus said, love your enemies. That's a hard saying. My flesh don't want to love my enemies. My flesh wants to stick a sharp stick in their eye. My enemies. They're against me. They want to hurt me. And Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to them that use you and treat you despitefully. My flesh don't like that, and neither does yours. But that's how we're supposed to act spiritually. We're supposed to deny the flesh. That's where we get into trouble. Over in Galatians, Paul says, if you walk in the Spirit, you'll deny the things of the flesh. You know, that's really a simple principle. I've said it many times. I can't walk in two directions. Hey, that's pretty simple, isn't it? So if I'm walking after the flesh, I can't walk after the Spirit. If I'm walking after the Spirit, I can't walk after the flesh. Right here is where we get in trouble. Oh, I'm just going to walk a little bit to the flesh. Well, then you're not walking in the Spirit. There's a fault. That fault is a failure. There's utterly a fault, a failure among you You're going to law with one another in the civil court. Here's their failure. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? If I understand that defrauded there... It has the idea of surrendering my rights. Letting someone else take what I have a right to or not do 
what I have a right to. You with me? Sometimes, among our brethren, people do us wrong. Just flat out wrong. And we know that legally, we have a right. So we have a decision to make. Do I take them to court? Do I fight this thing? Do I bring it to the church? Or do I just give it to God? Do I just allow somebody to get over on me? That goes against the flesh. I had an occasion one time A church and a preacher did me out of money. They owed it to me, wasn't any question. I called the preacher, I said, you know, this is, are you planning to pay it? He said, well, I really didn't know about it, let me look into it. I waited a while, didn't hear anything. I called him again. I said, I don't mean to bug you, preacher, but I haven't heard anything. Have you all discussed what you're going to do here? Or have you made a decision? He said, well, send me records. He already had the records. I sent him records. Never heard anything. Called him one more time. I said, I'm, I'm just trying to ascertain what I need to do here because this bill has to be paid. And it's my credit. Are you going to pay it or not? And they went off like a firecracker. Now, I'm surprised Art Gilmore did this. But God enabled me. The flesh wanted to jump through that phone and choke him. Said, you won't hear any more from me. called a friend of mine who was a preacher. He knew the situation. He gave me some very good advice. He said it this way. He said, Brother R, sometimes you just got to walk away from the table. 
So I did. I said, Lord, I got to give it to you. I wasn't about to sue the man. I wasn't about to sue. No, 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 no. Did I have a right? Sometimes we need to give up our rights. Sometimes, I know it don't sound good. Sometimes we need to let somebody get over on us. But you know, God has a way of taking care of them things. I turned that over to the Lord and I felt like he took care of it in different ways. But you know, it was probably seven or eight years later, maybe more. I got a check in the mail. This preacher had gone somewhere else and years later, and a note with it. Another fellow was there. He said, it came to my attention from the deacons that this money was owed you. And it's never been paid. And we understand that God's not going to bless our ministry when we behave that way. Now, honestly, I never expected to get it. I gave it to the Lord. Now, he brought it about, but I never expected it. I had given up my rights to it. I'm letting you think. See, sometimes, even though we have a right, we have to be willing to be defrauded. Why? Number one, so we don't drag God's name through the mud. And number two, because sometimes that's what God wants us to do. Isn't Jesus our example? And the Bible says he was humble. I've defined humble many times. It's power or authority under control. It's having the right, but not exercising. Now, I'm going to say this. When it comes to dealing with the world, I believe it's a different story. We're still supposed to be Christian. We're still supposed to be according to God's will, whatever he wants, and we need to pray. What do you want me to do, Lord? But sometimes Christians have to take unsaved people to the authorities.
because they're unsaved people. But I don't believe God wants Christians taking Christians to the world for judgment. We have a much better judge to turn things over to. Wait a minute, I have a right. Paul says, Why do you not rather yourselves to be defrauded? Look at verse 8. Nay, you do wrong and defraud, and that's your brother. If I understand that correctly, he's kind of summarizing and he's saying, it's sad that you even have these disputes. That a Christian would defraud another Christian. That ought not to be. But I'll guarantee it, and I've seen it. It happens. There were two men, Pastor Fidena's church, that were businessmen. I knew them both. The one was He kind of started businesses and got them going and jumped over to something else. But he, he, he could be successful in starting a business. And he was going into this business. He needed capital. He talked this other businessman into loaning him money. Well, here's a principle. Don't ever loan anybody money that you're not willing to lose. You might want to write that down. Well, he lost his money. And it was a good bit of money. He had a right, I would say, humanly speaking, flesh speaking, maybe take the God accord. He never did. It really wasn't even made public knowledge. I just knew about it. But you know, God blessed that man that lost the money. He made it up to him. I said we have a much better judge to take our disputes to. The problem is pride. That's what that I have a right is all about. Pride. Probably the hardest thing we deal with 
is pride. Right now, if you're thinking, I don't have a problem there, I'm humble, you've got a big problem. Pride. It's there, and it rears its ugly head and causes us to do things in the flesh rather than in the spirit. Paul took him to task. Shame on you. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. You, you have the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And you, you want to take each other to the authorities over really insignificant things. And you're not willing to humble yourself and say, I have a right. but I'm not going to exercise it. I'm going to let the other guy win. I'm going to swallow my pride and take the wrong. Because I'm a Christian. Father, these are hard sayings, but necessary. We ought not to be disputing and fussing among ourselves, really, to where we even need. To have somebody arbitrate. Sadly, we do. Help us as your people to have a right spirit, a spirit of willingness to suffer wrong. A spirit to yield our rights for the cause of Christ. To be willing to be defrauded. To follow Jesus' example. And Lord, we know that you, you honor that kind of spirit. And help us to win that battle when we face it. In Jesus' name I pray.